Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. What is The Briefing Room? It's a behind-the-scenes look at how the criminal justice system works and the lives of the people within that system. If you love true crime, well, these are the real people who do the job every day of making sure justice is served. Hi, I'm Detective Dave. I'm Detective Dan. Together, we have decades of experience in local law enforcement, a profession that we think is often misunderstood. So we're going to explore how to do it right, and we won't shy away from when it's done wrong. These are stories you'll hear nowhere else. Unique, frank, and unvarnished. From the team that brought you Small Town Dicks, this is The Briefing Room. Episode 1 drops on August 30th. We'll meet you in The Briefing Room. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com And welcome back to Scarred for Life, the podcast where we open up old wounds by looking back at the films that scared us as kids. I'm Terry. And I'm Mary Beth. In each episode, our special guest brings with them a movie that traumatized them as a child. This week, our guest is Perry Blackshear. He is the writer and director of They Look Like People and Siren. His latest film, When I Consume You, is currently out now on VOD. Welcome to the show, Perry. Thank you so much. It's great to be here. Thanks for joining us. Um, I cannot wait to talk to you about both your film and also the movie you picked. But before we do, let's take it back to the very beginning. How did you get introduced to horror? So I was a, I sort of uh, started with horror quite late in life. Okay. Uh, I think that I, I sort of, when I was really young, everything kind of scared me. So I mm. mostly stayed away from horror. Um, I feel like, I don't know if this is true, but I think sometimes I think horror, horror fans come in two varieties. One, they're kind of understimulated, so they need the kind of metal of horror to kind of make sense or something. Mm. And then the other, I just had a lot of nightmares all the time, <laughs> very intense internal states. So it's sort of like, and then later in life, I discovered it and I was like, wow, this is sort of what it feels like inside. Okay. This somehow makes a little bit of sense. So it's sort of like, you know, and, and so what they look like people, I, it was supposed, it started as a drama, but then as I researched, um, schizophrenia and all this stuff and brought in a bunch of my own nightmares it started to get scarier and scarier and I was like this is really bringing a lot of my fears to life in a movie um, and so that's sort of what I what I do now and there was a huge some turning points but the biggest one was actually Mike Flanagan's Absentia okay which is a lot of people haven't seen but Mike sort of my mentor and I I sold a show through through his company and we he i didn't i'd never seen a horror movie where i cared about the character so much yeah. and it had so much heart 
And it was still sort of so frightening at a deep kind of almost spiritual level. I guess the actresses did that to me too. Oh yeah. But I, I really saw the potential of horror as sort of this like, I don't know, a sort of a ritual thing where you get induced into kind of a nightmare with other people oh. and you all have this nightmare together. And then you all come out of the other side gasping for air, like, Oh wow. We like touched the void and then came back again and are okay. Or not. I mean, some horror movies have fucked me up pretty bad. So I don't know <laughs> like always what? if that works out like that. Which but... movies have fucked you up? I love, we love talking about them. <laughs> oh God. What's the one, the one where they crucify the woman? Um, Martyrs. Uh, Martyrs. I was like, which one? Terrible. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, let me get on my list. Uh, it's not a joke. Uh, Martyrs is, is definitely, um, boy... Yeah, it was a fucked up you know, movie. I, I sort of was shaking by the end of that one. So I you know I think I watched some like house building videos or something <laughs> after that for a while. As like a palate cleanser. I don't know. Do you guys have weird YouTube things you watch when you're like going to sleep? Oh. I feel like everyone has Oh yeah. Them. I um I don't it's it's either YouTube or it's falling asleep to real housewives or RuPaul's drag race. So <laughs> I fall asleep to 30 Rock. That is my my go-to. That's amazing. I'm obsessed um, with that show, so I can I'll bring it up in any conversation I possibly <laughs> can. That's it is something about the pandemic made the comfort food of that kind of stuff like Yeah. I watch people building furniture sometimes. It is I, so soothing. Like I love TikTok. <laughs> it's not the same thing as YouTube, but like TikToks of people just uh-huh. like with their hands cooking or making crafts or like crocheting. Mm. It's just like uh-huh. I never thought ASMR affected me until I watched someone like do hand beating and I was like, I feel like I'm getting a massage in my cerebellum. Like it's so good. Yeah. Anyway. It's like when you grab a cat and then they kinda go like <laughs> Yes. Thank you. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, that's I did, awesome. I just remembered that I have started watching some videos on YouTube of uh, people making these like dioramas out of like yep. like, like a whole scene, like res- the resin, they, the resin diorama. Yeah, and then they end up pouring like the resin and making like underwater sequ- scenes and stuff. And there's the resin, and there's like monsters in it. Like I have found those, and I'm just so... sitting there like it's so comforting. It's so good. It's so good. <laughs> it's so comforting. And we'll go back to horror in like two seconds. I know, but I love talking about yeah. weird YouTube videos. My fiance and I watched this one where this guy makes knives out of weird objects. So, like, he'll make it out of mm. chocolate or, like, soap. And he makes these really sharp knives out of milk and all these, like, weird materials. It's really good. What? It's incredible. What? Uh-huh. Um, anyway, uh, changing the subject from milk knives <laughs> back yeah. to horror movies. Milk knives is a great name for milk someone's knives. band. Sounds like yes. the battle of a band. Oh my name. god! <laughs> we that needs to that needs to be a name. <laughs> but um, awesome. Yes, back to so horror. You said you came to horror late, but do you remember what the first horror movie horror movie you ever saw was? Oh my god! Um, I think I think it was it The Exorcist. I feel like that was the one that really stuck out. Okay. Because it was a prestige, you know what I mean? It was one of these forever movies yeah. that, you, you know, you kind of see. The other one that I remember vividly is Audition, because I was watching oh. that. I, that was an early one, too. And I saw that in a you in college, you got the um, the big, the laser discs. Mm. Oh, and yes. I was watching a laser disc, and you had to check them out in the library. So I was watching it in a little TV screen in the in the computer lab basically oh but no. i remember just like That's a weird movie to watch with my headphones on just like like 
freaking out, stamping my foot when the needles were going into the eyes and stuff. Oh, like, yeah. Everyone watching me must have been like, kitty, kitty, kitty. Is, that, is that dude having a seizure? Yeah. Oh, my God. So I came into it all backwards. I watched, you know, I, I didn't have the whole like 80s. Like I, I never grew up on the kind of foundational horror classics. Mm hmm. It was like way later, like it was th it was me through it was like Eraserhead and and Lynch and the kind of, you know, the kind of these disparate sort of things that, that were all that really made a big impact um, in different ways. God, yeah, audition is like scarring as well. That would have been a good one here. Wow, you really just kind of you really did jump into the deep end with audition <laughs> as one of the first horror movies you ever watched. Yeah. Did you know what you were getting into when you watched it? No, but I was very into not transgressive cinema, but I think, you know, I was really, I love the surrealists and stuff. Yeah. I was like a college kid, you know, I was like, oh, in, yeah. I was like into Nietzsche and stuff. So mm -hmm. I was like, like, what's the Nietzsche of, of, I don't know, whatever. You know what I mean? I was like into <laughs> but it. Like, uh, but like in college, I was somewhere like, I want to watch all the weird shit and I want to be the cool. Uh -huh. And I still am like that. Like, I won't, I will admit that I am still like that, but I was very similar to like wanting to find the weirdest thing to watch. There may have been a little bit of that. I, you know. Indie films weren't like cool, but I mean, maybe they were cool, but not at my, not at my school, I don't think. And so I was really into P.T. Anderson and, um, okay. yeah. you know, but, but I think watching the ones where, you know, the kind of like, you have to watch this. <laughs> um, I think, what was that one that the French guy made with the scene with the fire extinguisher and the awful Monica Bellucci scene? And oh, the, Irreversible? Yeah. yeah irreversible. I think I got... I think I got some of the way through that and decided that this... I've still not seen that one. I can't, I, I can't do it. I yeah. can't do it. I love yeah. rape revenge movies. It's a very... It's a movie subgenre that I weirdly love, and I cannot... I, that one I can't do. I can't do it. Someone almost brought that on the show that one time. I can't remember who it was, <laughs> but it, right. that was and almost was their like, choice. I was like, I don't know if I could talk about that. It was almost their choice, and I was like... <laughs> Oh my god, <laughs> that would be a Ooh. horrible movie to see to your too young, <laughs> let alone at oh my age of forty one. Like say, I don't want to watch that now. <laughs> yeah, I think. Yeah, I mean, who knows? You know, maybe I'll, I just remember these foreign these the, the, the there was kids in this house and they were like all being like, let's watch this movie. It's like really fucked up and half you know. <laughs> Halfway through, they turn it off and just like wandered out, and they're like, "Do you guys not want to drink to the rest of the night and just like talk about?" you know, Care Bears or something. These were college kids. And, yeah. You know. Yeah. I mean, there was, there was a lot, but they were definitely, it was extremely eclectic and odd. And I think, you know, I discovered horror through sort of echolocation around it rather than yeah. like all the, you know, the, the slashers and all the stuff you're sort of, most people yeah. come of age on. So people tell me I have a lot of catching up to do with like, you know, the classics basically. So, yeah. so now that, you know, you're an adult and you're watching a lot more of horror films, have there been some that have like really wowed you in the last, you know, few years? I'm, I mean, you know, when they look like people came out, the idea of sort of uh, like horror as turning internal states inside out, like, like the A24, A24 kind of model you're talking like with the elevated horse. Yeah, stuff. well, right, yeah. exactly. The elevated horse space that I think was still, I mean, I didn't know that much about it and it felt exciting. And, you know, there was It Follows yeah. and there was mm -hmm. the Babadook and that it, there felt like this sort of like neo horror wave kind of thing was going on. And it was really exciting. And then Get Out came out and it sort of the lid came off. Uh, at least, you know, I don't. I only see what's on the periphery of all this stuff, but um, I think I haven't. Have you watched anything really recently that excited me? I think that sort of 
I think the stuff that excites me now is people are still doing that allegorical horror and, mm-hmm. and all these things. But, you know, even looking at the movie we'll discuss today, the, the movies that still talk about movies where their internal states made external and you fight, you know, like whatever you're fighting on the outside is what people fight on the inside. I love that stuff. I can't get enough of it. But someone was talking to me the other day about how it is really about sort of moral panic of suburban America or something. And like this ability of this, like the other Mm. under the surface of sort of Lynchian kind of normal life. And the stuff like that, that feels kind of eternal and evergreen about human nature and things like that. I, I, I love that stuff. Oh, I can say what it is. Midnight mass, I think is the, my favorite. Uh, I think it's my favorite TV show I've ever seen. And, um, just feels like whatever the kind of horror I like to do, he is, it's like, uh, you know, it's like watching the Bach of that kind mm. of horror go at, you know, like mm-hmm. just like have an absolute blast. And, um, Midnight Mass is so good. I love I it so much. I haven't cried that hard in a very <laughs> long time at any kind of media. And I watched Midnight oh. Mass and I was just, my fiance walked in and was like, what happened? I'm like, I'm watching <laughs> Midnight Mass. It's like after Katie Siegel's speech about death. And I was just like, it was, just, it was, it was a mess. So thanks. It goes straight, straight to the bone, straight to the heart. Yeah. Oh man. I love it. He's really good at doing that with his, with his show, with his TV shows. Like that for me, that was Bly Manor. Bly Manor, like just oh, ripped my heart out and threw it across the room. Oh, it's like, God. yeah. I love, wow. he does. Well, and I think, yeah. oh, sorry. No, go ahead, go ahead, Well, go ahead. I was going to transition to talking about your work, actually, Perry, because that's also something I liked about your work a lot, is I see, like, emo- I call it emotional horror, which, like, not the best way to describe it, but, mo- like, horror movies that, like, do this <laughs> really amazing job of imbuing, like, other, it's not just about being really scary, but also looking at, like, the human condition and things like that. And I feel like, you know, in all three of your films, when I consume you with most recent, this um, the siren and they look like people. That's kind of a common theme. So, how do you kind of look at that and balance it in your scripts for your work? Yeah, thanks. That's a great question. Um, I think the way I've described it, you know, I described about sort of a collective nightmare. I think these a lot of them start with my own nightmares okay. or sort of you know things people or people that I've loved have gone through, and sort of they emerge from that. Uh, to somehow, I was describing because I because I made when I consume you during a pretty dark time, uh, and looking back on it now, I'm like this feel this makes sense. Uh, <laughs> you know what I mean? And so movies and you know in some ways they're sort of like um, my colleagues and I talk about when you make a personal film, there's always this danger of doing a journal entry, which like no one wants to read a journal entry. Let's be honest. I mean, you do, it's for you. You know what I mean? Right. But there's a difference between a journal entry and like a love letter and a love letter is Mm. just as personal, but it's about a relationship and it's, it's like for someone else, but it still has you inside of it. And so, you know, these movies sort of feel like almost feel like, you know, love letters to what I went through and what some people have gone through that I love and also kind of exorcisms, like by kind of mm. getting it onto mm-hmm. a screen and a film, you kind of like name it and kind of have a thing about it, you know, yeah. and sort of like this nightmare, you get to do it and live it. And then, you know, it's on a shelf somewhere and you can like do the next one or whatever, something like that. I, I do think that a very weird thing that happens is you make a movie thinking it's about one thing. Like they look like people was I in my head, it was about the fa- like failure in your 20s where you think your life's going to be one way but then it all falls apart 
and you you know you have to sort of build up a new life you know you know uh from scratch kind of but then one a friend saw it and they were like oh this is about masculinity and about how masculinity makes you insane okay and i was like wow jeez and like and i don't know if it's about that but there's all sorts of things in there that you don't really recognize because you're kind of doing your best to transcribe your own dreams yeah knowing that people have to see it so you can't it can't just be a journal entry or whatever and then you know other things kind of come out of that that was a little bit discursive but i i think it the the short answer is it it's trying to be true to some experience that myself or people that i've loved have had um and that's sort of the beginning of it and then branching from there. You kind of started mentioning about where When I Consume You came from. Can you tell our listeners a little bit about what When I Consume You is about? Yes, gladly. So When I Consume You is a sort of a urban folktale about a brother and a sister uh, who've had a rough life. And have sort of been sort of been stalked by something their whole life. Uh, and they're really struggling to get by right now, but they're kind of doing better. And then this fucking scary ass thing comes back in their life and uh they have to kind of transform they have to kind of go to extreme lengths to fight back against this sort of uh force that that almost took them when they were younger and is now coming back and one of them has always been the protector and one of them has always been the protectee and that's the way it works but they're going to have to change drastically to be able to kind of survive and it's a lot of sort of stalking the streets of New York late at night, trying to get revenge on the thing that 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 really fucked you up and uh, trying to make sense of it. What I love the most about it is it's this brother-sister story, um, these two people that have stood by each other and have saved each other multiple times, and how, you know, the only way to, to sort of defeat this thing is really, like, through family and, and through each other. And for me, what it's about, I don't know, you grow up and uh, it, it's like... You try to you try to do good, and then the world's all fucking sort of monstrous. And you're like, yeah, but I got to be good, even if the world's monstrous. And then at a certain point, I think, and maybe everyone goes through this. I went through this, and at some point, it's like the only way to fight a monstrous world is to get monstrous back. And what happens when that happens? Uh, and if you can kind of survive that with your own sort of soul intact. Wow, it's you know, it's also kind of hard to talk about your movie because something does happen that I would not want to spoil. But I will just say that that moment surprised me. And then the reverse of that also surprised me. And I love when a movie can do that and constantly keep me on my toes and think what is actually going on here. Uh, So thank you. I love, I love that part of it. Uh, And if you have seen the movie, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. Yeah. And I appreciate it. It does have a few jackknives in there, which is, which was exciting for us and a little bit. Yeah, definitely. I appreciate it. <laughs> but also, uh, I mean, the, I think the reason why this this movie works so well is the chemistry between our, our two leads. But I also need to give a shout out to McLeod Andrews, who I've seen in, I mean, he's been in a number of your movies, but then he also, I, I remember him particularly from, I don't remember if it was last year or the year before, um, A Ghost Waits, a movie yes, that he stars Adam's in. Adam's movie, mm-hmm. yep. That I was like, oh, he, he's so good in it. And when I, when, I sh- when he showed up in this movie and he's playing... A very chaotic character. I was <laughs> yeah. like, I was like, this is fantastic, and he just he brings such a, a powerful energy to the film. Yeah, that was such a blast to have him. I mean, 
Uh, yeah, that was really, really exciting having him uh, play that character and like what it does to the film and what it did to the set when that sort of happened. Because <laughs> he's not, he, McLeod is such a good actor and he's also a little bit method. Okay. So I can tell you that like in between takes, he was still kind of like going and we had, after it was over, we had to be like, bro, like, let's... <laughs> No, but I'm glad you pointed out the chemistry. I mean, I the that was really what the whole movie was about was these two people that had sort of hold out, held on to each other their whole life, and um, Libby was Evan's good friend, and they did they they had acted together before, so that they they worked together with the characters and they spent a lot of time together, um, and they sort of lived as the characters okay a little wow. bit oh only because they'd stay in costume and they'd be around Brooklyn sometimes, and the way people would kind of treat them. Like the way Evan was just always so kind of bowed and tiny and sort of apologetic for existing. Like he'd go to a bodega like that. And um, he said it was really strange. It's It was a really good experience. And yeah, I, you know, working with the actors is one of my favorite parts of filmmaking. So it sounds like it was a pretty intense set and experience for everybody. Yeah. I mean, after one scene, um, you know, because things in the movie touch things that happen to people we loved in our lives. And, you know, there was a few scenes where we did a few takes and then we kind of stopped for the evening uh, oh, okay. and just kind of mm-hmm. just kind of relaxed a little bit. Yeah, it was a really intense experience, but we, we sort of shot it in order. Oh, OK. So the experience of the set kind of mirrored the experience of the movie. And, uh, you know, by the end, again, can't spoil anything, but there's one scene on a street in the street very very much towards the end and shooting in the street in brooklyn is extremely chaotic there's partiers there's all sorts of cops and all sorts you know things going by and it was a very challenging scene um but there was one of those moments that you just you live for as a filmmaker where we were all pretty nervous about the scene you know and we were all like oh my god is are we going to be able to pull this off because it's kind of a big deal and there were people partying and being like what are you doing and like coming back you know that's how it goes when you're doing something small um and then we shot the first take and we all i mean it was i think that may have been the take we used and we all just were like oh this is gonna be so great like we were so at peace and then we shot the rest of it out and we were like this is this is this is just the best thing ever yeah it was it was quite an experience shooting it uh as well definitely i can imagine i because i I was thinking you you were talking well mary beth you mentioned it must have been intense and there's one scene in particular uh i'm not going to spoil it but there's a scene where um evan's character wilson has to breaks down Mm -hmm. and like and that moment just like really uh i was getting misty eyed i was like this is this is really like goosebump inducing stuff that's happening right here and I just, I was just really impressed at how authentic and grounded a lot of the the performances were in this. Yeah, thank you. I I tried something that I love is trying to get into the experience of characters. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if this has happened with you all, but when very large events like car crashes or something have happened in my life, like reality sort of shifts into a feeling of slight unreality, mm-hmm. where like everything is sort of oddly calm and vivid and sort of flat. And you kind of feel like you're in a video game briefly yep. rather oh, yeah. than connected to yourself and the world. And so I tried to capture some of that during a few sequences. And I don't know, I'm not smart enough to know if that's dissociation or what, but it felt like things that, ha- uh, that I've, I've been through. So we tried to capture that. Uh, yeah, that was the scene where we had to, we had to, we did a few and then we, I, I wondered. We called it yeah. <laughs> I wondered because, uh, 
Yeah, that that definitely. I mean, the, the take you got you you got was fantastic because it gave me goosebumps, and I had to actually pause the movie for a moment. So it was very effective. Oh well, that's awesome. It's it's really good to work with actors you trust who trust you because you push them, but then <laughs> they trust you to like not to, you know. It's Walk like, them back from the edge. <laughs> right. It's like it, it can be kind of dangerous, but yeah. within within like an arena where it's ultimately going to be OK. But like let them, you know, go places where they don't necessarily want to go. Um, uh, yeah, I guess that's what horror is. Unless it's, you know. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Awesome. So we have talked about when I consume you and your horror journey. But Perry, what movie did you bring with you today for us to discuss? Oh my god, I brought Pinocchio. You brought Pinocchio. So I'm going to read a quick synopsis and then we're going to jump right into why you brought this movie. Uh, If you are not familiar with Pinocchio, Pinocchio (laughs) is a living puppet who has the help of a cricket as his conscience and he must prove himself worthy to become a real boy. What a loaded uh, statement that is. But uh, (laughs) take us us back. How old were you when you saw this? What about it terrified you? We want to hear how you saw it, where you saw it. Give us your horror story. Oh, man. Well, I think I was like six or seven when I saw it. And I was the kind of kid that like, I sort of had nightmares anyway. So Mm. about like many things. And I think that I watched it and was so utterly terrified that I just couldn't look away, I think. And I can talk about the scenes that did it, but I I was looking at it again now. And I think the thing that made it so frightening at that age is that I was about the same age as Pinocchio. I mean, I guess a little older, but he really felt like a proxy for me. You know, and and ultimately relatable kind of young little dude. And so, like, when he got taken away from his home, I mean, there is some dark stuff in this movie. Good Good Lord Lord is there. Like, so the scene where Stromboli was like, you go back to your father, ha ha ha, and then, like, throws him in a cage. I mean, this is, like, child like trafficking and child trafficking like, for sure turn you into firewood there's and, like, a lot the of child bit, I mean... trafficking in this movie this movie is a very what <laughs> i didn't remember a jack shit about that from when i was a kid so i mean there's so much to talk about um but <laughs> you know so at, at the at the time i think you know that scene scared the hell out of me and then the whole Treasure Island, um, that scene, you know, there's a there's a thing, um, Nightmare Fuel or whatever. And the example, when you look up TV tropes of Nightmare Fuel, I think one of the examples they give is that one moment in Pinocchio where he says, like, they won't come back as boys and, like, leans over with the eyes all crazy. Mm-hmm. And also the scene where the guy turns into a donkey and goes, nah, nah, Baby's first like body this. horror. Uh, and all the, all the little boy donkeys be like, I want to go back to my mother. And then there's like whipping him, them, and then they fucking get shipped, shipped out to God knows where. And then it's never solved. It's never, there are, there are never, still never child solved. trafficking, zombie turning into monsters running around. And there's also like these random inhumans that they're like, <laughs> yeah. what, was that? Boys? what, what was the that? fuck are those things? <laughs> <What>? like, 
I had to actually rewind and go, what are those things? Are they in robes? Are I they like, what I is was, going on? I did here? this. Ali did really close and I was like, I'm sorry. What is this? <laughs> is this a monster movie? Like what the fuck? I know it's been a long time, but <laughs> So so at the time I think I think it like scared me straight. Or I I feel like it was the best like dare advertisement ever at, at that age. Like Okay, absolutely. You know? I was watching this now and I was like, okay, this is just a few steps removed from like Reefer Madness. Like this oh, absolutely. is a propaganda film through and absolutely. through in a way. Yes. I was like, this is Pilgrim's Progress. They're like, always let your conscience be your guide or else you'll be child trafficked. Don't go be an actor. Stick in school or else you're going to be sold as a slave. Like basically <laughs> oh is, what's, is what they're trying to get across here. And like, oh my God. Dare we forget to mention the, the deep racism of this movie with Stromboli being labeled as... Oh my God. The caricatures and are... It's just mm. terrible. And... Awful. Just I, that whole time, I was like, "Wow, how this is a movie from the 1940s?" Because they call 40s. they call it it's a 1940. Is it 1940 on the dot? Forty. I actually yeah. looked yeah, it up because I'm it's I'm, 1940 yeah. on the dot. I was trying to think of the context, which I'll which I can <laughs> meant. I mean, you guys probably know this too, but it's a quite the context. Yeah. Oh, let's talk, well, yeah, we can definitely talk about that because yeah. again, like let's the, dig into that the race in oh, this movie. I, <laughs> I don't know. I guess I just I mean Hitler in, invades France like. Two months after this movie comes out, I think, mm -hmm. uh, like it is the Soviets were in Finland, I believe. Like, I mean, it was a insane time in the world, a dangerous time in the world. And that was something that stuck out to me in the film is that this is a this this movie exists in a dangerous world. Yeah. And I think that's like there's something deeply unsafe about it where like mm -hmm. there you step outside your house and it's all terror, basically like away from your father and the nice magical world here. Mm -hmm. And there's no good guys. There's no good authority anywhere. It's all just horror outside of your father and the world of your family, basically. Yeah. And how terrifying the world must have been at that time. Yeah, absolutely. I was thinking, cause I, I like was when I was watching this movie, I was kind of trying to figure out where it was set. And apparently it's set in Italy. And I mean, that makes sense because the story is, is from an Italian writer, the original. So they probably set it there, but I will say that when you look at the, the main family of Pinocchio and Geppetto, they don't come across as foreign. They come across as American Definitely. And then you have like all of these outside forces that are others. You have Stromboli, who is an Italian, who is speaking with, you know, a Mario type, you know, he's like, da, 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 da. And yeah. he's kidnapping the kid and you have animals. And it's really, that's another thing that really kind of confused me as an adult is the fact that we have people with pets that are animals. And then we also have anthropomorphic animals running around okay in, in this, in this town. Yep. And I, I get it. They're from they're from the book, and it makes sense in terms of like the book yeah. characters. But it's really weird to watch it, where it's like, what is going on in this world? Where you yeah. have like animals that act like animals. I mean, they have a little bit of human characters to it, as I'm sure Mary Beth will talk with Cleo. But it's yeah. uh, we have like these animals that are animals, and then we have animals that are humans. But it's like the other. Everything outside of this little family unit is trying to tear apart their family. And so yep. I kept thinking about how kind of this movie actually kind of is in terms of like this little household in the yep. middle of uh, all these other people from different countries trying to steal the kid. 
Yep. Horrifying. You have the good little family and then all the evils that are all everybody else, basically. Just that makes outside a lot of your sense. door. Yep. Yep. <laughs> right. Walking down the street, they're going to sell your reefer if you don't, you know. <laughs> yeah. Your yeah. quiet Italian I mean, it, village, it, it, a weird cat and a fox are going to sell you drugs. <laughs> and then your cricket contents is going to bounce around saying, don't do drugs, kids. Anyway. Don't do that. Don't yeah. do that. Do, but I mean, cricket. very, very weird to watch. Like, so many strange things watching it now. Okay, but here's the strangest thing. <laughs> and it's actually not, but I have, I'm upset about Cleo the goldfish. <laughs> because Cleo the goldfish has big lips and eyelashes and is very, like, kind of, like, a sexy goldfish. And <laughs> she is a sexy goldfish. For what reason? <laughs> There's, why? Why? Like, and this is a Disney problem. I feel like Disney has this problem with, like, fetishizing and like sexualizing like animal characters in a way that is very bizarre and it it's not i know it has like no weight on the movie but it just for me adds other weird fucking element where this like goldfish has big old lips and like hides behind her blushes and and uses her tail like a fan and it's just yeah it's just like so odd and her and the cat kiss and i don't know it's just yeah there's there's all sorts of strange it's like you're looking into the ids of animators it's like when you see (laughs) heffalumps and woozles or oh yeah the the elephants on parade or something and you're like geez Mm -hmm. what the fuck was going on with these guys (laughs) what were they smoking (laughs) talking about me for madness But it's like someone was like, let's make the goldfish sexy. You know, it's going to be great. And everyone's like, let's make it a coquettish goldfish. Like, this sounds perfect. And her name is Cleo, which I'm sorry. It's like kind of like an adult woman name. Like, Cleo. (laughs) The cat's name is Figaro. I mean, come on. Like, let's, we know what we're doing here, you fucking freaks. Yeah, Um, there's a lot of, I don't know exactly what was going on. Uh, I do remember, I mean, I think. also. Oh, sorry. I'm so sorry. No, I was going to say that my first crush was Maid Marian from from Robin Hood. Okay. My first crush was Robin Hood. (laughs) See? I'm just going to throw that out there. I say fucking freaks knowing that full on I am one of the fucking freaks. But like, (laughs) for some reason, the difference between it being more like a man and less like an actual fox. Like, I feel like there's a weird cognitive dissonance that I have there. But yes, Maid Marian yeah. was also a very attractive character. I agree with you. But she was also that sort of like Lord of the Rings. Like I fell in love with Arwen. You know what I mean? That kind of like oh, yeah. courtly sort of, you know, and same with Robin Hood, this kind of courtly love or whatever. Oh, it's not Robin Hood. He was <laughs> he was so like he was so handsome and he was so like dashing and ready to go sweep her off her feet. I was like, yep. yes, I like this. Why why do I like this? Justin the Rat too from Rats of Nim. I yeah, that just in the rap from Rats and M. Anyway, it's funny how these things, yeah, just get into the, the side guys. Yep, <laughs> awesome. But speaking of like what I when I when first watched this of movie, what, and, Terry, speaking of what, <laughs> speaking of, of what, exactly. sexualized animals. No, yes. um, I uh, when I I. I saw this movie very, very, very young. In fact, I don't really have a memory of not knowing Mm. this film. So I'm not sure exactly when my parents started showing it to me. But I do know that I was obsessed with it because when I was a kid, I would like watch a movie. And if I fell in love with it, I would be having it on repeat all Mm -hmm. the time. And it would drive my parents nuts. Mm -hmm. And I remember that because I had – it's been – gosh, it's probably been 35 years since I've seen this movie – 
I had not seen this since I was a kid. But like watching it, all of a sudden, all of these nostalgic memories came flooding back to me. I remember when when Pinocchio was first asking Geppetto why, and then uh-huh. why, and why I did that to my parents all the time to the point that they were so fucking annoyed with me. And I would, all I wanted to say is just is is like what he I can't even remember what he said now, but I just wanted to like finish the the sentence. But mm-hmm. I I remember that I my I remember being so enamored with Figaro the cat that I begged my parents to get us a black and white cat and they did <laughs> and I named it Figaro. Wow. Wow. Unfortunately, Figaro <laughs> didn't last very long. I don't know exactly what happened. My parents say that they left the garage door open and it ran away. I don't know what the story is, but it lasted maybe a couple months. Oh, but I no! had for a very brief point in my time a cat named Figaro. I wanted a fishbowl with a little castle in it and a fish named Cleo that would sleep in the in the in that fishbowl. I wanted that. <laughs> like all of these things are like coming flooding back to me like, oh my God. Because uh-huh. I hadn't thought about this movie in again, probably 35 years. It's just it's it's wild to me how a movie can just sort of burrow in there and I was quoting it as I was watching it. I'm like, how am I quoting this a movie that I have not seen <laughs> since I was probably six or seven? Like what the fuck? I think those are such positive takeaways. I think my takeaways were more like when I saw Pinocchio with the cigar turning green. Oh. mm -hmm. Having that like burned into me, my head like a nightmare image oh there was definitely nightmare images for me <laughs> but it, it felt like it was mixed with the positive it was uh, <laughs> it absolutely was but i remember fast forwarding through the the lampwick's changing scene into the donkey mm. i would fast forward through that or i would hide behind my couch and put my hands over my ears because it <sighs> terrified me so much when he in particular scene where he like comes up on on pinocchio and his hands can do the werewolf into the the hooves uh-huh. and then there's the moment where he's trying to like he's panicking panic and all of a sudden he just starts braying like a donkey yeah those moments was like an indelible moment for me that i was like oh fuck this is yeah. this is something horrifying i shouldn't be seeing this well, yeah and it's that's that's yeah and it's it's funny that you say that because i forgot i only remembered really the whale sequence at the end which is mm. very different from the rest which is so interesting because i had always thought of pinocchio as like the whale movie i never mm. really thought much about like I did not remember the, the Stromboli stuff, except for, like, the, I got no strings to hold me down. And I knew the donkey thing happened, but for some reason I thought the donkey stuff was just a prelude into the whales stuff. Uh, I think because mm-hmm. as a little kid, I wanted to be a marine biologist, so my face, I loved awesome. it because, like... <laughs> Me too. Like the scene with all of the cool crabs and the octopus and like the fish following them and the seahorses. I was like, this is the coolest shit I've ever seen. Like, and it's just something about whales and that whole thing stuck into my head. So that was what I remembered about this movie. And that's why I don't think I was, I wasn't scared of the whale part. I just thought Pinocchio was the scariest fucker I've ever seen in my life. Like I was legitimately like Pinocchio still makes me deeply uncomfortable. I don't like his mm. little eyes. Something about him is so deeply uncanny and uncomfortable that like mm. the news about the new Pinocchio coming out. I'm like, I can't handle Pinocchio. Like Pinocchio <laughs> as a as a as a puppet is just like I think I have a doll I have a thing with dolls and puppets, I think, and it's just all weird. But I think it's his legs they are specifically. Kind of like the ventriloquist a, dummies it, are very yeah, scary. Yeah, and like it's specifically yeah. his legs because he looks so much like a human and then you see his weird little knees and, then, and yeah. they're like, wait, you're not a person. And just the thought of that happening to me is 
somehow the most terrifying experience I can mm. think of. So Pinocchio yeah, yeah. just makes me deeply uncomfortable. Like <laughs> I want to punt him a little bit. Like I do want to punt Pinocchio. <laughs> Mary Beth wants to punt Pinocchio. <laughs> That's amazing. He didn't do anything to amazing. me. He just makes me uncomfortable. Well, it feels like he burrowed the, that image is like burrowed into your into your head. It's the Uncanny Valley stuff, I guess. It mm-hmm. is. I really think so because, like, this was not a Disney movie that I watched very often, and I think because he freaked me out so much as a kid, I was like, nope, I don't need, I don't need this one. Like, it's just something about it. And then watching it now, like, even the beginning with all the cuckoo clocks, like, like what, he's like, okay, one, what, well, number one, he, it's 9 p.m. and it's getting late. Meanwhile, like, 9 p.m. is prime me being alive and getting things done time, which cracked <laughs> me the fuck up. But, like, all these, there's, like, cuckoo clocks of a guy, like, trying to chop off a turkey's head, of someone shooting. So much violence. Uh, shooting a bird. A woman spanking her kid. It's, like, and they're close-ups. Like, they cut to these moments. And I was, like, the vibes are already off at the beginning of this movie. Like, something is just bizarre. Yeah, there was. There's something about, I think I realized this afterwards, is there's something inherently frightening about animation to me. Like, it's very nature is frightening. And I think it has to do with how un, how anything can happen at any time. Like, reality is not ever safe, kind of. Mm-hmm. Like, I remember watching Akira and that ending where, like, mm-hmm. someone's brain just pops sort of out of nowhere. And it felt so frightening because it was so out of control. Like, it felt like an out-of-control world like a dream or a nightmare that you never knew what could happen next in visually or sonically or anything. So it's like, it's interesting. You said that like, it just terrifies you because I think I was talking to someone about this, but this idea that animation sometimes feels like a more accurate depiction of like dreams and fantasies than real than reality does. So like, even though it's fantasy, it's like, it's like emotionally accurate or something or, or like in your brain, it looks like animation. kind of. Well, and I, I, cause I love animation and I think because it's able to do things with form that you can't do in reality. Like you can manipulate yeah. form to do whatever you want in animation and you can really embody dreamlike movements and things that appear and how things move. And there's just like so much more freedom to capturing that. In a way yeah, yeah. that feels so real, which sounds again like a par- like kind of like you know paradoxical, but it, it's true that it the way that you're able to kind of eschew like our logic and what physics can do in our world, yeah, you can do something really cool with the animation. Yeah. Yep, totally, totally like yeah, unsafe, I guess, like uncontrollable and sort of unknowable in some ways yeah definitely god well, the, the whale so... thing yeah oh sorry is it the body horror part with the donkey stuff like it doesn't you know it's yeah. not real but something about them popping up so quickly it feels easier in animation like it's so much easier for those things to happen it's not as out of the realm of possibility which makes it feel even scarier yeah yeah yeah, well, yeah. and i was thinking about how this movie is structured very weirdly it, it almost feels like a couple like vignettes totally. right yeah. and i it probably i think ties in i've not read the 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 story that of uh, pinocchio but i think it kind of ties into that as being more of like little almost short stories that were kind of told throughout mm-hmm. time yeah uh kind of put together but 
I think this this movie does a good job of kind of grounding everything in the safeness of Geppetto's home. Absolutely. Because the first bit of this movie is like all all set completely in Geppetto's home where there's a roaring fire and it's comfy and the cat and the fish are getting along. Yeah, the cat is kind of bratty to the fish, but they obviously love each other. And Geppetto is this really kind old man that all he wants is having a kid and he's given so much joy to everyone else. Like, it just, it feels warm and inviting. And I think... The animation, the animation this is just, it's so stunning. There's like a shot in the very beginning where it's a POV shot from, from Jiminy's point of view as he's hopping towards Geppetto's house. Uh-huh. And the, I don't know how they do it, but it's like you have like a, a front board of the house and everything uh-huh. on the inside is like getting closer. And I was like, that is such stunning animation. And it makes it feel grounded, I think, in, in humanity. So even if you're watching a cartoon, you still these feel like real people because they have so much character in it. And so we get this beginning part that is so warm and inviting and caring and carefree. And then he goes out into the real world. And I think that is where things start to get a little bit uncanny. Like all of a sudden you're walking down the street and there's a, a fox and a, and a drunk cat coming down the street mm-hmm. towards you. And it's just it starts to slowly twist and become almost a kind of a nightmare mm-hmm. in a way yeah like a dream has turned into a nightmare i'm so glad you mentioned that because i definitely you know we we talk the, my colleagues and i talk about the handshake of a movie a lot which is sort of like the first three minutes where the film or filmmakers kind of like here's here's what this is going to be here's what you know mm-hmm. so if you watch a one car wife film it's like here's how it's going to be sex scene amazing and strange and beautiful and like and you're kind of like <laughs> okay i'm like ready for this you know and then the movie is usually it's like a promise, basically, to the mm-hmm. audience about what they're going to watch or something. Maybe. So the big, the promise it's like a of wish this, upon a star, like like exactly like a wish upon a wish upon a star. So this movie starts so warm. You, you're exactly right. That's something that it's 13 minutes of clocks, and like yeah. mm-hmm. adorability and love and Care Bears and and then this angel that comes down, you know, and and blesses everybody, and then mm-hmm. loving and dancing. The first thirty minutes, almost. Yeah. So that when he comes back and the whole Geppetto's house is all ruined, you're like, oh, you killed. It's devastating. Like Geppetto's my dad, and that's my house, and you killed it. You know what I mean? Like it's very yeah intense. The experience, I think, is so much more intense because it feels like a happy world, or you sort of thought you were in this happy world that was safe something like yeah. that. Yeah, and there's there's uh, I mean there's a lot of moments of abject horror in this. I the 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 moment when Stromboli who seems like a very caring, you know, man that he lets his anger through once in a while, but he he comes across as like, "Oh yeah, you know, I'm going to make you rich, I'm going to make you famous." And then he tosses him into a birdcage, locks it up, and there's the shot of 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 um the kind of the coach moving through town and it's raining outside and there's lightning and there's thunder and he's stuck in this cage and it's swinging and there are like bodies of other marionettes. Yeah, they're marionettes, but it looks like bodies hanging from the ceiling. Just of children specifically too. Like it looks like children, bodies absolutely. of children. Like it's very coded yeah. as in like, it's a fucking child murder. Like, I, I mean, again, I've watched a lot yeah. of horror movies and like, I'm telegraphing that on there, but I mean, everyone in this movie, Stromboli, <laughs> honest, John, the weird donkey man, like are so predatory towards children. But sorry, Terry. Mm-hmm. Just, yeah. Jesus. No, I, I, it is, it, that's, and that's exactly it though. That's what I, I, I was hoping the conversation would go to because these moments, there are moments of just absolute hopelessness. Yep. 
And it happens like a few times in this movie. Yep. There's this moment, and then we get the moments on Pleasure Island that feel completely devoid of, of any sort of happy ending. Yep. And the movie even ends with Pinocchio dying. Oh my God, like Pinocchio it's just... face down in the ocean. I was like, I forgot that this movie almost ends with just a drowned half man, half puppet. A drowned boy! A drowned boy! And the only way he comes back to life what the is fuck? like, you di- No, it's, wait, he died for your sins. He's like, Jesus Christ, the Christians yeah. have co-opted this fucking movie, I swear to God. Like, Jonah oh, and the Whale, no. obviously. Mm-hmm. Yep. Sacrifice it's definitely yourself. Pilgrim's Progress, this film. It's... And it felt, you know, it's like, you know, the way to live as a good boy otherwise you'll be child trafficked <laughs> die, di- die always... for others or become child trafficked you have no other options <laughs> there are no other options I, I feel like you know there's like die everything i learned about life i've learned about the pinocchio one would be real fucked up it would be like I everything really i learned about life you know if a fox coming at gives you drugs <laughs> Say no. <laughs> but do listen but do listen to the homeless homeless like the unhoused coated cricket with weird sh- like holes in his shoes and a broken top end who just shows up out of nowhere and is like Alright. Like I'll be and your is also horny for human women. Um, <laughs> did you <Okay>. notice that? <laughs> This movie is also very corny. That? There's a lot of butts in this <laughs> like, movie. There's a lot of focus on butts. Like when when Jiminy's leaning up against the one statue and he realizes it's a woman's rump. Yeah. And he's like, ooh, sorry, ma'am. Or like, yes, him even like looking at the can-can dancers and yeah. getting all blushing. Like, like there is so much horniness in this movie. With the fairy? <laughs> yeah. Definitely. I mean, you know. And she's like, ha, 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 man. You know, and you're just like, jeez. Yeah. She's like, I don't yeah. actually have a gender. Like, I'm a fairy. Like, I I'm don't a, ex- I'm a fairy angel. Like, <laughs> I transcend whatever weird shit your weird cricket brain is thinking, but. I know. Thanks. And also, you're a cricket. You know, like, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> also, you're a cricket. <laughs> Uh, I, I just love that, like the the end game for Jiminy is he shows up and he's he's a, a vagrant. You know, he everything is all rumpled. When he becomes Pinocchio's conscience, his clothes magically, you know, fix itself. And by the end of the movie, it's ooh, I got rewarded with an eighteen karat gold coin. Like that, that is like the the progress here of like deferred. Uh, gratification and then finally getting rewarded in the afterlife. So, I mean, that's a very, you know, Christian heaven, you know, de- delay gratification now because in your the afterlife, yep. when you're dead, you're going to be in this magical, wonderful place and see what happens yeah. is if you go pursue any instant gratification, you're going to be child kidnapped. Yep. Child kidnapped. And trafficked. Yep. And if you don't, you'll get a ghost gold star and become a real <laughs> human. You become a real boy. You will transcend from your... Half puppet, half human. Yeah, which is also sort of strange. It's like you are by nature an unhuman, but if you are pure of soul, you will you deserve you can you can earn a place as a human along with other humans. I mean, I don't know. Maybe that's a lot, but uh, there's no, <laughs> no, but like, like it, but like that is like the Christian way of thinking. Like, unless you're like baptized <laughs> and confirmed in the church, you're not a real person. Like you're not real in the eyes of the Lord. So like, it's not that far off from at least Catholicism. Yeah. I was just thinking about Miyazaki when I watched this movie and how like mm-hmm. um, much I love Spirited Away and all these things. And in some ways, it's a pretty vague connection, but the, there is this like entering a dream world and it's very 
deeply frightening in some ways. Mm -hmm. Spirited Away scared the shit out of me, even when I watched it as a teenager. But the, you know, if Spirited Away, it's very free flowing and kind of like imaginative and all this kind of craziness. Pinocchio does feel a lot more linear and kind of like A to B, you know, and also everything is evil except the fact, like it's a lot stricter in some ways, sort of more, yeah. Like, yeah, because it's like the not a lot of path is very narrow. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it, it's it's like someone saying, "Okay, son, you're going to go out in the world, and there are going to be to the right and left of you a fox, and there's going to be a cat, and they're going to try to tempt you from going to school, from not going to school, and you got to just stick on that road and go straight to school and learn and not become an actor." Which, by the way, I think is hilarious. Whenever a movie is is bemoaning <laughs> being an actor and like chiding you for wanting to be an actor. Yep. And it's an actor that is delivering the lines always like makes it's, me laugh, yeah, yeah. but it, it's such a straight and narrow line that it's very didactic in that way. It's like, you're either going to go to school and be a good citizen of America, or you're going to fall into ruin, start smoking cigars, drinking beer and destroying things yeah. and become a jackass and then get shipped off to the salt mines. <laughs> like that is <laughs> the ultimate like choice right here. Oh, be God. good or be shipped off to the salt mines. Oh God. It was pretty disturbing. I wonder if kids are yeah. just like, wow, that was a fun movie about a whale. You know what I mean? Like, it's like if it just sort of apparently rolls I, off. Apparently I was. Like, <laughs> yeah. That was me. I think it's I like... asked my mom, like, am I going to get <laughs> taken away by, you know, by evils in, in a birdcage? And she's like, no. It's like, what about, a, <laughs> eaten, are you all going to get eaten by a whale? I think like, these are my main concerns. Uh, I think I was that young. I do have a confession. When I was a kid, I kind of wanted to be eaten by a whale. Wow. This movie made it look kind of cool. I it mean, was. yes, like you now watching it, it's very... Wait, like you get like a little a... houseboat in there. Oh, okay. yeah. Terry, that's called You get fish? Those board. fish look delicious. I remember when <laughs> no, you get the fish, he was like, fish, fish, fish! And I was like, I want fish. I hated fish. I know, it was exciting. It's like, yeah. look at all that fish. Look at all that <laughs> fish coming in. Yeah. You have a little house. You're on a little boat. I wanted to be a marine biologist. I'm like, this is all like, I'm inside the belly of a fish. Like, this is all really... I mean, it was really cool. Now watching it, I'm like, God, this is another moment of pure desperation because Geppetto and the cat and the fish are like, like, I'm going to die here. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I never thought I was going to end this way. And I'm like, yeah, it's depressing. Very morose. Yeah. Very morose. Yeah. Well, amazing. I'm, (laughs) I'm, I am so impressed to hear that you got, you actually had a cat. You like went full Pinocchio, like it was the full thing. I did. You know went I mean? Full Pinocchio, yeah. Terry went full yeah. Pinocchio on this. It was the wow. real deal. That's that's quite a claim to fame. Uh, I I you know, uh, I didn't get nearly that far. It definitely scarred me, though. It absolutely scarred me. I, I mean, yes. I mean, like I said, when I was watching the donkey scenes, I remember fast forwarding through it, or if I couldn't get to it in time, jumping behind my couch and sitting there with like my hands over my ears because it. The sounds of the braying were were absolutely horrifying yeah. to me. Yeah, yeah. This movie also like did very poorly for Disney. Really? Uh, it like yeah. It it's again because of the time period you were, you you brought up earlier. Mm-hmm. Like they they couldn't release it overseas. It did. I I can't remember exactly how bad it did. 
it kind of flopped for them, and then it was followed up by the flop of um, Fantasia, which mm. also did really poorly for them. And also them. had sexy fish. <laughs> yes. Oh, There's I don't even want to watch that. I don't even know what would happen if I watched that thing now. Like, uh... Fantasia, Fantasia is a straight-up fucking nightmare. Anyway, this is, not a, this is not a Fantasia. I remember it boring me as a kid. Me too. I remember being bored, I think, primarily, and confused. Uh-huh. I remember liking the Sorcerer's Apprentice sequence, and... The demon atop the mountain. The bald but, like, mountain that's... thing, also scarring. Has anyone brought that in yet? Has Fantasia? No. That'll be a good Mm-mm. one. That'll, that's, that's that will be a good one. Yep. Amazing. But it's interesting that we talk about this kind of being a pro- propaganda film because Disney did turn to propaganda films in World War II mm. because they almost were on the verge of bankruptcy. And so mm. they started to make it, but they started to use their characters to like... Um, uh, advertise for the army and for the military and whatnot and kind of be more of that kind of again propaganda that i feel like this movie was a good stepping stone towards. yeah yeah i guess so yeah wow. it's wild well do we want to wrap up and give pinocchio our rating out of five what is the what is the rating yeah. the, of the child? Say the say the rating again. So our rating out of five today is uh, how many babies for his body horrors out of five do we give Pinocchio? So Terry, how many babies for his body horrors out of five do you give Pinocchio? Uh, this one this is hard for me because it's so wrapped up in nostalgia for me, and I kept reminiscing about childhood as I was watching this because even though there are moments that are absolutely disturbing, and even though I find it very a little too moralizing and a little too didactic and basic in terms of tackling the themes that it wanted to, I still have such fond memories of, again, the cat and fond memories of, you know, of wanting to be eaten by a whale. <laughs> like, Shouldn't I, be admitting that just to all people, these... <laughs> <laughs> Okay. In one gulp, alive in a boat. Let's, let's not, let's not introduce Vore into this, please. And thank you. Um, but, but yeah, so I, it, it's hard for me because I, I think this is a masterclass in animation. I'm I'm surprised at how much life and character and there's so many little moments, uh, particularly in the beginning where like there's just a shot to Jiminy reacting to things. It's these little tiny moments that I think a lot of films just sort of bypass over. And they're interesting character beats, and it's beautifully animated. And the music, I mean, come on. When I Wish Upon the Star became the theme song for Disney, like the lasting legacy of this movie is is large I, and i also kept thinking i wanted to watch ai after i was done watching this because ai mm. is basically pinocchio and it kind of tackles that in a different different way but i this movie is very important i think it's absolutely stunning i i think the themes that it explores are a little, a little too uh uh problematic in some ways but um i mean i i have to give this i guess four babies first body horrors out of five because it it is such an important film, I think. But what about you, Mary Beth? I, I agree with that. I think I didn't really have many memories of this film as a kid. I think because it was like it freaked me out so much. I was just like, nope, no more of that, which I guess in and of itself is impressive for this movie. But rewatching it today and realizing just how deeply fucked up this movie is, I'm pretty impressed. <laughs> um, deeply upset by the racism of this movie, uh, which is yeah. unfortunately present in so many early Disney films, which product of its time it's still very gross but Mm. really quite um yeah it was very impressive in how serious and fucked up it is but it does get knocked down a star for being so um like weirdly religious and puritanical uh very bizarre this is a very weird movie to watch it's just a very (laughs) strange experience like it's it's 
fucking weird. Um, but Perry, you have uh, you have the final word. How many babies for Spotty Horrors out of uh, five do you give Pinocchio? I would agree with four. I think uh, that that was that was my number. I think that this, you know, watching it again, it's like an epic. It mm. feels it goes goes big, and then it goes bigger, and then it goes. You know, it felt like. I sort of forgot where movies were whole experiences that, you know, hit really deep and hard. And, um, and then I think it, it just, it feels like it goes straight into the deep parts of the psyche. And I think that also there was so much love of craft in the film and a really innovative film at the time. Um, and a pretty fantastic journey. But also, it it is. I admit it, it's pretty hard to watch now. So uh, some parts of it, it's it's hard to just watch because of that's being a product of yeah. its time. So I think that's. Uh, I would agree with four as well. One one last thing that just it just hit me, and because I was thinking about Figaro, it's a Disney movie in which the cat isn't evil. Yeah, there's not a lot. Good. Huh. Aristocats. Aristocats yes, that's later. but there's a lot of times where the cat is like the evil character. It's true. It's true. Like, yeah. Wow. They really are. And Figaro's such a cutie. Such a cutie. I, I had is. to have a cat. He's sort of a brat. He is. But, I love that uh, about him. I can attest most cats are brats. <laughs> 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 love mine, but they're brats. <laughs> uh, they are, yes. Oh, man. Well, thank you so awesome. much, Perry, for joining us to talk about Pinocchio. Where can our listeners find you? And do you have anything coming up that you can share or talk about? Yes. Uh, you can go to whenicconsumeyou.com. Uh, for updates on the film i am uh i think we have a twitter as well i am not a a specific uh social media person but you can contact us uh through one of those avenues um this movie's coming out and uh then there's a bunch of exciting things ahead can i talk about any of them there's stuff in the tv world okay i think uh in the movie world there's a a few going on that I can't talk about that I'm super pumped about. Um, but one that I can, uh, is about, um, two people that stumble upon a cursed play Ooh. that sort of gives a big promise to them if they act it out. Oh, uh, but then it gets not Cthulhu, but anyway, it gets real cosmic horror from there. And I'm uh, very excited about that one. So that's something we're, we're, uh, in development on that, uh, Hell yeah, that sounds awesome. amazing. Well, listeners, you've heard from us, but we want to hear from you. What was your experience with Pinocchio? Send us an email at scarredforlifepodcast at gmail.com, or you can reach out to us directly on Twitter. I am at MB McAndrews. And I'm at Gaily Dreadful. And of course, don't forget to follow the podcast on Twitter at Scarred Podcast. And please don't forget to review, rate, and subscribe. Thank you to Eric Power for our artwork. Thank you to Sean Keller for our music. Thank you everyone for listening. Please stay safe out there, but most importantly, stay creepy. And until next time. powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. What is the briefing room? 
It's a behind-the-scenes look at how the criminal justice system works and the lives of the people within that system. If you love true crime, well, these are the real people who do the job every day of making sure justice is served. Hi, I'm Detective Dave. I'm Detective Dan. Together, we have decades of experience in local law enforcement, a profession that we think is often misunderstood. So we're going to explore how to do it right, and we won't shy away from when it's done wrong. These are stories you'll hear nowhere else. Unique, frank, and unvarnished. From the team that brought you Small Town Dicks, this is The Briefing Room. Episode 1 drops on August 30th. We'll meet you in The Briefing Room. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com. <laughs>